right, well, welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters. I'm the campus pastor here at the Mount Pleasant campus, one of the teaching pastors here at Seacoast, and we are so glad that you're here to worship with us today. I want to welcome you if you're joining us uh, online or in the chapel, one of the off-site campuses, wherever you happen to be. We are glad that you are here with us this weekend. Hey, last weekend was one of the most historic, epic weekends that we've ever had here at Seacoast. In case you missed it, it was Commitment Weekend. We saw thousands of people across all of our campuses bring back commitment cards, making financial pledges for the next 12 months to help fund the expansion of the Mount Pleasant campus. Pastor Greg's going to report out on the numbers next week. Man, we were so excited about it. But in the meantime, I wanted you to know that if you weren't here and you're seeing piles of rocks and baskets on stage, questioning what in the world <laughs> is that about, you can get more information about Imagine and the expansion at imagineseacoast.org and your campus pastor is going to come up at the end of the message to give you a little more information, some steps as to how you can get involved. Well, this weekend is kind of special in that we are between series. Last weekend, we wrapped up our Imagine series, and uh, next we're going to be kicking off a series on Daniel, where part of that series is addressing end times, but today being Valentine's Day, every five to seven years it falls on a Sunday. That's where we are this year. We figured it might not be the best idea to kick off a series where we're going to be looking at the end of your life on the day where you're celebrating the love <laughs> of your life. Come on. You know what I'm saying? For some of you, that feeling may be one and the same. We're not going to go there oh today. We're not going to touch that. <laughs> and so it's an exciting opportunity for me because instead of just me being up here to tell you how awesome my marriage is and what a great husband I am, I figured <laughs> it would be a good opportunity to have my Valentine join me. So maybe we could introduce a little bit of honesty and truth Come to on. the uh, storyline so that you could learn a little more about what our relationship is actually like. And i got to be honest, I'm just a little nervous Babe, if you're nervous, that's not a good thing. Well, it's, it's because there's two reasons. The first of which is that what you don't know about any time that you hear me speak on the weekend is that um, any time I'm up, Katie's heard the message four or five times before I get here. <laughs> and most of the good stuff that I bring actually comes from her. Now, y'all know and that. So with her true. being up here, I'm a little concerned about how it's going to go for me. Number one. Second thing is that she's my biggest cheerleader. And that every time I'm up, she's sitting right over here on the front stage. And as a preacher, it helps when you have somebody saying stuff like, come on now, bring it. That's a good word. That's right. Amen. You know? And if she's not here, she's online. She'll watch every single service, text me some feedback. And so I'm kind of wondering who's going to fill that gap with her now that she's up on the stage. I'm seeing some hands, so we're in good That's awesome. We're in good yeah, shape. Yeah, you remember one of my favorite feedbacks you ever got is we were standing in the kiosk, and this man comes up to us, and he was, after the message, he said, well, at least we know Katie liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I started dying laughing. I was That's like, how it goes. True. There you go. If I make Mama happy and we honor the Lord, it's a good weekend. So we're just going to claim that. Well, why don't you pray for us, and then we'll, uh, and we'll get started. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. I thank you for each and every person that is here today in your house. Father, I ask that you just use us this morning. Use our story. Lord, do with it more than, um, than it's actually just the words, Father. Make it, make it something that's life-changing, that could impact lives, that could change eternities. Lord, you tell us that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And I pray that you just use this time this morning to do what only you can do. In your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, we kicked off the service today here in Mount Pleasant and across all of the campuses with a song called Thinking Out Loud. And um, I'll never forget the first time that I heard that song. It was about a year and a half ago. I got home from work one day, and Katie said, Jay, Jay, we got a new song. 
<laughs> I was like, oh, Lord, here we go. <laughs> she had me sit down, and she played it. And overall, I thought it was a, a sweet song, except for one line in it that I had a big issue with. And it's in the chorus, that whole part of, baby, I will be loving you till <laughs> we're 70. I'm thinking, like, then what? <laughs> you know? 71 and done, I'm not going to be looking my best. <laughs> at 71 and the field is going to be a little more narrow it's going to be hard God. to find somebody I don't know if he took some creative liberties but I'm hoping we get a little beyond 70 and I don't want to start over <laughs> you know, so other than that I like the song it's a sweet song about two people that that come together that are in love and that when their hair is falling out when their hands don't work like they used to they can't remember each other's names their bodies are falling apart that somehow they have this love for one another that's as strong and passionate, as exciting as it's ever been. And I would say whether you're single and in hopes of getting married or newly married or have been for a long time, that that is the desired outcome. That is the vision for everyone who's married that, that would say, man, we want to finish this race stronger and better and healthier than we did when we first started. And the good news for each of us is that that's the opportunity that God's extended to us. That is his desired vision, that we would live with that degree yeah. of faithfulness, that degree of commitment to our spouse. Yeah, we've learned that vision is so important. You know, it tells us in his word that without vision, people perish. And um, with every new season of marriage comes new challenges. And this year, it was our 13-year anniversary. And just in the light of kind of vision, I had asked 13 couples that were way far ahead of us in marriage to speak words of life into us to kind of give us some tips for growing more in love each and every day. And it was incredible. We had breakfast with some of the couples. Um, a couple of them wrote us cards. We went bowling with a couple. The words they gave us will cherish for years to come because it, it, gave, it painted such a picture of that vision of kind of growing more in love as we got older together. I'll tell you what else. I'll tell you what else she decided with our 13th year anniversary. Oh gosh. Is that go. it was going to be the year of the tattoo. I did. She wanted her name or face somewhere on my body. <laughs> <laughs> and so I googled this to see is this like a tradition, <laughs> like a silver gold kind of thing, and don't nobody else do this. <laughs> and, so, and so what happened was our parents have grandparent names that feel like they kind of happen to them, if that makes sense. My, all of our kids call my dad Peepaw. And uh, anytime I've gone to spell it, I write P-E-E-P-A-W. And Katie's like, oh, no, it's P-I. That's gross. I'm like, whatever it is, <laughs> it sounds bad. I don't like it. I don't know how to spell it. And so, so we picked our own grandparent names. And so I want to introduce you to Bear and Ruby is what we're going to be called. And I don't know if I'm... Teddy bear or grizzly bear, who knows, but it's not Peepaw, <laughs> and I'm excited about that. And so oh what, what Katie did for our anniversary was she got the 70-year-old uh, the version of myself t tattooed on her ring finger to express her love and devotion. So she's got bear on her <laughs> ring finger, and I was so moved by the gesture that I went and got Ruby tattooed on my ring finger. We brought you a picture just to oh show gosh. you a little bit of what that looks like. There it is. So should anything ever happen to her at 70, I'm going to be in trouble, and I'm going to be looking for one woman. So if oh you know God. any rubies <laughs> out I'm there, so ridiculous. I'm going to need your help. You are so crazy. Well, we have learned that vision is important, and you don't have to get tattoos to show that for sure. But the other thing that we've learned is equally important, maybe more so, is um, perseverance. So we've learned just in our 13 years of marriage already that if we are going to make it to that vision that we have for our life, we're going to have to persevere through some pretty tough times. Yeah. 
And, you know, our life verse has always been John 10.10. We actually got it carved into the driveway of our first house, and we have it carved in the driveway of this house now. But we love that verse. You know, that verse says, The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And we always paid attention to the second part of that verse, because who doesn't want to have life and have it abundantly? It's kind of the, the start of the message when we're talking about vision. But what we didn't always pay attention to is the first part of that verse. And it says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And you know, if any of you here would say, that's the vision I want too, I want abundant life in Christ, then today I want you to know that you also have a target on your back. And we've learned through our marriage that if we're going to persevere, if we're going to have that vision that God intends for us to have, we're going to have to fight, we're going to have to be tough, and we're going to have to be able to persevere through some pretty tough times. Yeah, how many of you, when you think about marriage, have the picture of a couple that comes to mind. Uh, maybe you know them well, maybe you know them from a distance, but you see in them a um, fun, flirty excitement that you're like, man, I want to have that when we're their age. One of the couples that Katie had lined us up to meet with were John and Vanessa Coker. And uh, man, they are very much that for us. But anytime you see a couple that kind of embodies something you hope to have at some point down the road, one of the things that you don't see unless you sit down and get to talk with them is the road that they've traveled to get there. Uh, you don't see the pain that they've walked through, the tough times that they've persevered through, the way that they've had to forgive or sacrifice or really choose to love one another. So today, uh, in sharing our story with you, man, in 13 years' time, we've been through some tough stuff that you wouldn't know about unless we told you. So today, we want to kind of process our story with you and share some of the lessons that we've learned in hopes that it'll give you some vision for how you can keep Love Alive. So Katie and I met uh, our freshman year of college at the University of South Carolina, and it was really remarkable. I would say that she fell in love with me uh, really right away. When you say it was kind of a... Uh, yeah, or, or it took a little <laughs> or bit. Or brother had to do a little wooing. <laughs> one long, one long. But um, so after I convinced her that I was the real deal, we, uh, we started dating uh, summer of our freshman year. And I remember the first day that I, I met her, actually, I went home and told my roommate. I was totally content at that point with like the single college life. And I went home and told my roommate, I was like, man, I'm going to marry that girl. And he was like, shut up, man. That's stupid. No, you're not. <laughs> and, but I was totally fine being single one day. And the next day, I couldn't imagine my life without her. And so we dated for two years. And then our um, junior year, I found myself in her parents' living room asking for her hand in marriage. We would be engaged for 14 months, which let me tell you something. If you know you found the one, ain't no need to wait that long. You know, was it was long. just a long, it seemed like forever. You don't need to do that. And so, uh, <laughs> so that next year, it was December 21st of our senior year, which I will also say will bless your parents if you get married just a couple days before Christmas and ask your whole family to travel from out of town and then get back in Christmas. So, so we did that. We were that couple and uh, got married <laughs> December of our senior year and would announce to our family at graduation that year just a couple months later that we were pregnant with our first child, which was uh, really exciting for us because we had now had a license to practice and uh, both, had, <laughs> both had vision for a large family. We wanted seven kids, and so uh, we didn't waste any time no. getting started. But uh, at that time, we were youth workers at a church in Columbia, and uh, we're both going to be starting our master's to go into education, and uh, the church we were serving at came to us and said, hey, how would you feel about coming on staff and working, working at the church? And the thought had just never crossed my mind, so I thought, you know what? I'm married. We're about to have our first child. Uh, I don't have a job or insurance or 
any of the other important things that normal adults have. So maybe that would be a good move <laughs> you know, for us. And so I did that. And after about a year's time, really started to feel like, you know what, maybe this isn't just like a man-made opportunity that they just asked me about. Maybe this is a bit of a God assignment that he has a call on my life, on our life for, uh, for ministry. And so I thought, man, if that's the case, then I want to go to seminary to learn as much as I can about the Bible and about ministry as I can. And the church we were serving at at the time wouldn't let me go to school full-time and work full-time. So we started praying through that. And about that time, opportunity came up at a church across town that was willing to let me go to school. And so we uh, went to meet with them, and um, I just really felt like God was in it. But Katie did not share those, those feelings, so she went with me in faith uh, in that opportunity, just kind of trusting that God was in it. And I remember it was a season of firsts for us in that it was our first year of marriage, our first home, our first job, our first baby, all great stuff. But because we had never walked that road before, man, it was challenging. I didn't know how to be a godly husband, father, pastor, parent, you know, all the stuff. So we were trying to navigate all that, and it was fun, but it just wasn't easy. And I'll never forget our first day at that new church. Uh, we got in the car that day, both without really talking at all, and as soon as the doors closed, we both just broke down and cried. Uh, because we knew, as much as I felt like and really believed we were supposed to be there, we knew that it was going to be a hard road. Uh, I didn't feel like we fit. It didn't feel like home. And really, for the next two years, we would struggle because there weren't anybody else there that was really our age. We were young parents in a new season and struggled to really find peers uh, that, w that we could walk through life with or that really, were really walking through the same season. And about two years later, this couple started coming to the church. And man, it, it felt like finally, you know, we were just relationally starved. I really connected with the, uh, with the guy. Katie had a lot in common with the wife. And what we thought would end up being a great friendship proved to be very destructive for both of us. Yeah, you know, looking back on this season, it's hard to paint the picture of how difficult and painful it was. But what overall, I would say what happened to just a strong, healthy couple was eventually over time, we just became isolated. And what was happening in me specifically through that was just over the years, I just kind of lost this reverence and fear of God. I kind of began hiding things that I was thinking or feeling. And then when we started to get closer to this other couple in friendship, I just started coveting things about their life. You know, I would think, gosh, I wish our life looked more like that. And then specifically about him as a husband. Like, I wish Josh was just attentive to our kids more, was home more, um, was, was around more. And, and then it moved on to like, gosh, I just think he thinks more highly of me as a wife and a mom. And you know, looking back over this time and these feelings and emotions, I know now that this was called an emotional affair. And something that I pretended to be harmless would actually prove to be devastating in our life. And, you know, if any of that point, if I would have just confessed these things to Josh, these struggles to him, I know immediately he would have ended the friendship. He would have protected our family. He would have gotten us healthy. But instead, I just hit him. And, you know, it says there on your outline in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, I now realize the truth of this passage. The, the part I was telling you about, about wanting this vision for abundant life to be used by God and then realizing that also that means that we have a target on our back. You know, months of this occurred, just these lies and me believing things about what I deserved and my own happiness. And on May 29th, I was pregnant with our third child, and I was 37 weeks pregnant. And the doctor said that at 37 weeks, I could come off bed rest. I had been on bed rest for six weeks. 
And that night, I told Josh, I'm having this baby tonight. And Josh was like, I don't think this is a great idea. You know, babe, I don't know that that's good for you or the baby, but I can't begin to tell you how selfish my thoughts were at this time, just about all things. And I, and I told him, no, 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 I'm having this baby tonight. And sure enough, I did have that baby that night, only he was so sick. He went straight into the NICU, and they would meet us at the door of the NICU, and they would just say, he is the sickest baby in here, and we don't know if he's going to make it. And it was such a thin place in life, and I just felt like it was one where the enemy used that time to just truly pounce like a lion. And, you know, these, these walls that had grown between Josh and I because of my emotional attachment and thoughts just now started to feel like a chasm between us. You know, Josh was rightly disappointed. And whenever he would express that to me, it would just crush me. I was filled with such shame thinking that I had did the, done this to our child. So months of this just continued to occur, me just giving more and more pieces of my heart away from Josh and this, this divide growing between us. And on August 8th, I ended up going to this Beth Moore simulcast, which to this day, I still don't know how I got there because it was at a church I didn't attend. I didn't know anybody. I went all by myself, and I remember sitting on the back row, and I just felt like I was in such a deep pit. I was questioning everything. I was questioning my faith. I was questioning my love for Josh. I was questioning my love for God if I wanted to stay in my family. And um, I'll never forget, she came on the screen and she said, there is a girl here who is in such a deep pit that she doesn't ever think she can get out. And I just started bawling. I'm like, that's me, you know. And she said, but God wants you to know that God can do it. God can rescue you out of that pit. And, you know, God used that moment because that night when I came home on August 8th, the woman from the other couple um, had come over to our house and she was just in tears and she was bawling, and she said, something's wrong with my marriage. Something's wrong with my husband. I don't know if he loves me anymore. And God used that moment for some shackles to start to fall from my eyes. And I just remember realizing that, gosh, my sin, my sin could have almost led not only my family to a path of death, but also hers. And she left that night, and I mustered up the little bit of courage that God gave me, which is really all it ever takes and I remember saying to Josh that night, I said, you know, what if it's me? What if my emotional attachment has been the cause of this? Like, what if I'm the cause of almost leading our family to a place of death? And what I thought would be a very private confession on our couch that no one would ever know about actually ended up becoming very public as we left our church and went about counseling and working towards healing in our marriage. But looking back on that time, I know that even that was God's plan for us because we've met with several couples since then that you get to these kind of crisis moments in marriage and you just wanna brush it under the rug or keep going or move on to the next thing. And, and honestly, it, it's not the best path. You know, the most pain that you're willing to go through is the most healing that God can end up doing. So we knew that it was an emergency time for us and we really needed to get health and wholeness. Yeah, I remember being really just uh, surprised and shocked in that season because a relationship that I thought was very solid and stable, that we were just young and learning, trying to figure out how to do this thing, just wasn't. And, and I remember being so surprised and not really knowing how to take ground or start over or get a, a new start, but realized pretty quickly that it wasn't going to happen unless we went to a new place. Uh, I was just tired of driving the same roads, seeing the same people, so I was just praying, God, can you get us somewhere we can get a new start. And up to that point, Charleston had always kind of been on our five-year 
wish list, you know, praying, dreaming one day we'd love to live there. But at the time, you know, you start having kids and jobs and nannies and uh, it just feels so hard. Moving an hour and a half up the road feels like moving, you know, to the other side of the world. So we just made this list of things. God, if you if you're, would allow us to move, you've got to do this. You've got to find jobs. We've got to sell our house. Everything that we would list on the paper, he would make happen until finally the move became possible. So I drove down to Charleston one week and picked out a, uh, a house for us. And Katie actually drove down the next weekend and looked at the home that I found and let me know that we would not be living in that house. <laughs> we found another opportunity got a preference on for where us we live. as a family. So, so I'll never forget that first weekend that we were here. And uh, we, lived, we were living in Park Circle and we attended uh, the Dream Center. It's right there outside of Park Circle. And the message that day, they actually they started off the service with a song that's based on Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. The pastor spoke on Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Then they ended the service with that same song on Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. And it starts off by saying, now to him who is able. And our son's name is Abel. And I remember when him being in the NICU, we would pray that verse over and over and over because they would tell us, we don't know that he's going to make it. We don't know, you know, we're still just holding out. And so our prayer was just, God, you are able to do more than we could ask or imagine. We don't even know what to pray, but we just pray now that you would, that you would do that. I had gotten a por- portion of that verse tattooed on my wrist there. Yeah, tattoo, kind of, tattoo theme. Kind of picking up theme. Here. I also have a, have a fairy on my back. That oh, my God. I'm just kidding. But, but it was just a, uh, I, I remember it felt like God was saying, like, this is home. Like, this is, this, is your, uh, this is your next. And honestly, at the end of that verse, it says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine. If I were to look back just at the last uh, seven years to look at what God has done and our marriage. Honestly, I feel like those two words, immeasurably more, are the, are the phrase that best capture that. And so today what I'd love for us to do is just look at some of the lessons that we've learned and hope that it'll kind of give you some handles on how to keep love alive and persevere and really grow through any season of life God might have you in. So the first lesson that we learned there on your outline is that blessing follows obedience. Blessing follows obedience. When Katie and I first moved to Charleston, it was the beginning of a new season, but man, we were far from out of the woods. She uh, would be very honest with me about her feelings, where she was at, struggling to know if she wanted to be with me anymore, all stuff that I needed her to be honest with me about because I wanted to know really where we stood and, and where you know, where we really were. But I remember in that season when we moved, one of our prayers was, God, you got to get us a job. And so Katie was the one that landed a job first, which left me as a stay-at-home dad to our three young children, which wasn't challenging at all um, for me. And so I remember in that season, we had sold our second car along with anything else of value, you know, just to try to help us make the transition. I remember living in a new place, not knowing anybody, not having a car, at home with three kids, feeling totally forgotten, just questioning, God, how is anything good going to come of this? I don't see a path out. I don't see how you could make a way. How are you going to establish relationships? I couldn't find a job, couldn't get an interview anywhere. So I used to live for nine o'clock and one o'clock. Our kids would have a movie rest in the morning and a sleep rest in the afternoon. And Katie used to always dog me about, kids aren't supposed to have two rests a day. (laughs) 
And I used to tell her, well, as long as I'm to stay at home dad, everybody's resting <laughs> at 9 o'clock and 1 o'clock. But for the, from 9 to 10 and 1 to 2, every single day, man, I would bury my face in God's word. And I remember in that season taking passages like Joshua 1.8. It says, do not let this book of, or keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, I remember in that season, uh, that becoming like an anchor verse for me because I would say, God, I can't possibly muster up feelings in her. I can't change her heart. I can't help us to get through this season, but I'm going to focus on your word. My posture towards you uh, is going to be yes. Anything that your word says, any way that your spirit leads, anything that you would ask of me, I'm going to do and trust that then we will be prosperous and successful. Uh, passages like husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave themselves up for her and give himself up for her. It used to be my like vision statement. You know, it was like each day looking for opportunity as to how I can serve and lay my life down for her, knowing that if I did it, in some way God would see it and honor it and really do something in us that only he could do. Yeah, I look back on that time and I, gosh, I think, I can't imagine putting myself in Josh's shoes. You know, just how difficult this season was. And, and obedience for me was not anything extraordinary. I still felt like my faith was so small, and, and I would tell God that. You know, my faith feels so small, and my heart is so weak, but I would tell him, you can have my feet. God, you can have my feet. I won't leave this marriage. I won't leave this situation. I will remain. When everything in my flesh honestly just wanted to run, but I remember just telling him that over and over, like, God, you can have my feet. And, and never could I have imagined the blessing that would follow that obedience, just to stay, just to persevere in what God was calling us to. You know, I didn't realize that God is the author of love and emotions and all things feelings. And as soon as they had left, he can return them in a stronger, more healthy way. So, you know, I don't know about you, but during that, that season, sometimes that obedience is, is a very small thing. It's just telling God, you know, I will remain. I will stay. Yeah. So what about you? Are there any areas of your life that maybe you feel like God is calling you to be obedient in? Things that he's calling you to do, maybe that you've heard or read in his word, that you've heard in a message or sensed his spirit leading in some way that maybe you've questioned, is that really God or do I have to do that? A behavior, attitude, something he wants you to address, a relationship he wants you to get out of that might not be healthy or the best for you. I want to encourage you today that he's a good father, that blessing follows obedience. His plans for you are good, but in order for you to step into all he has for you, it's going to require you to take some steps of faith, knowing that blessing is going to follow obedience, even if those first few steps are hard or uh, challenging for you. So first thing that we learn is that blessing follows obedience. The second lesson is that God is love. Yeah, so there were two kind of markers during the season that really changed everything about the way that I understood God's love, the way that I rested in that love and received his love. And the first happened on what I would say was kind of our lowest of our low day. You know, I had just started to get honest with Josh about how far my heart had gone away from him. And we went down to my parents to stay with them and visit Seacoast. And, um, you know, as I'm starting to get honest with Josh, it's just heartbreaking for him. And this would prove to be the only night in our whole story where he wouldn't sleep in the bed with me because he was just so heartbroken. And I remember going to bed alone. At this point, I was filled with such shame. I thought, you know, my family and friends are never going to see me the same again. And 
I went to bed that night and just cried, tears just running down my face for what really seemed like hours. And the only way I can describe the depth of that pit was just that I, I didn't know if I wanted to be alive anymore. And as I laid there just in tears, I saw my Bible over to the side and I kind of grabbed it as this like last ditch um, place of hope. And I held it to my chest. And what happened in the dark of that room, um, I just could never believe. You know, as clear as I'm telling you today, I started to hear the voice of the Lord. And he said things over me like, my girl, I love you. I made you to love you. I knew this day would happen before I even created you. I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. My words over you are love. And, you know, it was in that low, in that deep pit of my own sin, where I started to understand the great love of God. You know, I started to realize that if on that day, my worst day, he speaks words of life and love over me, this is a love like I could never fathom. And I don't know about you, if you've never heard God say that, speak those words of love over you on your darkest day, it will change everything about how you relate to him. And, you know, it was that kindness that led to more repentance because the next morning we went to Seacoast Dream Center. And I'll never forget, at the end of the service, I ran down to the front of the service and Pastor Sam Muskie, the campus pastor, was there at the front. And I started bawling and I told him, like, everything I'd ever done. And I, was, I, was, I remember being there being like, babe, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that. And I just kept going. <laughs> he bring, kept going. Bring it back. <laughs> Reel it in. Like, and then this, and crying. And, you know, he said there looking at me with such compassion. And he simply just basically said, me too. Me too. And then he showed me this row of Joan and his girls, and he said, look what God has done in my life. And, you know, me too doesn't mean, like, I've done exactly what you've done, but it means, hey, I have been broken too. I've been in a pit also, and look what God has done for me. And, you know, in the eight years since we've been here, I've been able to do counseling and sit with person after person where I feel like basically I've just said to them, me too. Me too. Like, look what God has done in my life. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for you also. So, you know, that day helped me to start to receive God's love for me. The second thing happened a couple months later when we went back to Columbia. The kids weren't with us. We were going to finish packing up our house. And I still was not feeling the love for Josh at all. And um, I remember we were packing up the house, and I, I would come to him. I found all these photo albums and things that I had made him when we were 18, 19, 20 years old. And I would bring them to him. And they literally said things like, snooky boo-boo. Like, I love you with all my heart. You know, one of the pages had this huge sun on it, and it said, I never want you to change. Like, I don't want to change anything about you. And so clearly some of it was inspired. It was <laughs> God had given it her. It was inspired by something, for sure. So I would bring these albums to him, and I would say to him, do you feel this way for me? Because I don't feel this way for you anymore. Like, can you honestly tell me that you feel like this for me now? And I'll never forget what he said that night. He looked at me and he said, Katie, I'm inviting you to go to a deeper place of love with me. And as soon as he said that, I realized that's a love I've never known. That's a land that I haven't been to before. And it started to help me understand that what I thought was love was actually self-love. It was all about my needs and my wants and my happiness and my satisfaction. But the place that he was taking me to was a different place of love. 
And you know, his invitation to me that night was not, Katie, I'd like you to come on a journey of repayment with me, <laughs> where forever you'll be in my debt. And I'll always kind of have a low-lying level of anger with you, and I'll never really fully trust you because you're kind of a mess. You know, will you come on me with it, come to me with this journey? Like, he didn't invite me to go on that kind of journey. And you know, that's not the journey that God invites us to go on either. God says to us the same thing. I'm inviting you to go on a journey of love with me. And it's honestly the greatest love story that's ever been told. He says, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And you know, that's the journey of love that God invites us on. It's, it's a journey of mercy and grace and fearlessness where he entrusts us with things. He entrusts us to steward his word, even though we're still broken and sinful. It's an incredible journey of love. And so it started to change everything about the fact that I realized in that moment that God owns love. He owns the definition of it. And, um, and he's the one that I need to look to, to, to figure out exactly what love is. Yeah, I remember that invitation to go to a new new place really stemmed from a prayer of God give me your heart for Katie and uh, I didn't want to muster up the feelings I didn't want her to have to push past like how she really thought or felt but it was God give me your heart for her and I felt like in so many ways I saw him do that because it was a uh, I felt like he gave me not only his heart but his eyes for her her name means pure at heart and in that season he really gave me a vision for the woman he had created her to be that I could call her to that honestly at the time I don't know that she, uh, she saw or felt yet. Yeah. So what about you? Maybe today your next step in this area as it comes to knowing that God is love is one, maybe having him speak those words over you. Uh, maybe there's some other banner that you've uh, put over yourself for a long time, some other label of sin or struggle or shame, something from your past that today, maybe before you can actually love someone with his heart or carry his love for someone else that you would receive that love from him. Or maybe your next step would be to pray, God, give me your heart for someone else, for a yeah. spouse or family member, a son or a daughter, whatever the case. If you will pray that prayer, man, he will cultivate in you a love that you couldn't have manufactured on your own, an outpouring of his spirit. It's a fruit of the spirit that he is love and he can do that in you. So we learned that blessing follows obedience. We learned that God is love. Third lesson that we learned is don't fight alone. Don't fight alone. When, uh, right after we moved to, uh, to Charleston, I remember when we had come down to visit, uh, I met Mac Lake, who was on staff here at Seacoast at the time. He was the leadership development pastor and just saw in him a vision of what it could look like for me to be a husband, father, pastor 20 years down the road. So I told him, hey, if I can wash your car, cut your grass, whatever I can do to be around you, uh, we are on it. And so right when Katie and I moved down, uh, Pastor Mac and Cindy felt led to start a married couples small group. And we're like, that's perfect. We're in, you know, we'll sign up. And so I remember that first night, it was Katie and I, Mac and Cindy, and like six other Brazilian couples. <laughs> and and uh, we were the only ones that spoke English, but we ate good <laughs> and true. it was a lot of fun, you know. And after a couple weeks, everybody had shift changes, a couple people moved, and it wound up being Katie and I and Mac and Cindy uh, every Friday night. We were the worst small group attenders ever because we would show up an hour before a group was supposed to start and we would stay long after it was supposed to end. But I'll never forget in that season, I feel like in so many ways, um, is the first time that we began to feel some healing because every week I would know that we had a safe place to go 
to sit down with a couple that I knew loved God, that I knew was going to fight for our marriage and speak yeah. truth over us in a, in a neutral way. So it was the first time in my life up to that point, I had always felt like I needed to present the best version of myself, you know, not let people know what I was really thinking or how I was really struggling. But we would go over to their house and process our arguments with them. I would have to tell them stuff that I had said. Katie would process through things that she did. And up to that point, I had always walked, I feel like, in God's forgiveness. But James 5.16 there on your outline says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Man, as we would sit down with them and process our sin, I feel like that was the, the first time that we really began to feel and sense the healing of God in our relationship, just because of the humility that was required to sit there and, and process our sin. But man, we really stepped into a new, new season as we sat there with them. Yeah, and even now, you know, I would call myself an open, authentic person, but there is nothing more awkward than sitting down with another couple right in the middle of a marriage challenge. <laughs> and, you know, just in the past month, we had a, a challenge that we sat down with Josh and Lisa Stroud, our lead pastors here, because they happened to be that couple for us. And talked slash cried a little bit through um, kind of what we were going through. And, you know, you're probably not, not going to have 10 couples that are like that in your life. But I just encourage you to have one, have somebody that you can call in those moments of challenges. If you're at an impasse that you can be fully open and authentic, um, vulnerable with, that is going to point you to God and point you back to each other. And, you know, the other thing I would say is just if you are in need of someone to talk to, don't let the enemy isolate you. Don't let the enemy isolate you. You know, if, if it's a crisis point like that for you in your marriage or just in life in general, you know, this church is an incredible place of healing. We have encouragers, men, women, married couples that are not professional counselors. They're couples just like Josh and I or Josh and Lisa who would love to sit down and talk with you. And, um, and it's small groups, you know, just take time to fill out your Connect card. Let somebody know that you need somebody to talk to. Do not be isolated and don't fight alone. Yeah, and it really just takes, as Katie said, one moment of insane courage. You identify that couple in a time where you don't necessarily need them, where you can say, hey, there's going to come a point in the next couple months where we're going to argue about something that we can't really get past. And when that time comes, can we shoot you a text? <laughs> you know, can we yeah. come sit down with you and trust that you'll fight for us, that you'll help us get through it? That as the husband, I can know that as the wife, you're going to spur Katie on to love me as as my friend, I know that you're going to, you know, kick my butt to be the man that I'm supposed to be, whatever the case, so that when those times come, you need one moment of courage to give them a call, shoot a text, say, hey, man, can we shoot down, can we shoot down, <laughs> can we sit down to talk? And as you do it, man, you'll see God bring about healing in the relationship. So we learn that blessing follows obedience. We learn that God is love. Uh, don't fight alone. And the last lesson that we learned there on the back of your outline is that new life is just around the corner. New life is just around the corner. I remember um, right after we had moved to Charleston, we had only had one car, and the one that we had uh, was really our dream car. We had bought it on eBay, found it in Scottsdale, Arizona. It was a Jeep Commander Limited, black with all the chrome fixtures, the wheels, the door handles, had tan leather with a black floorboard. You notice floorboard you said our it. dream car. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I'm we sure. are one flesh. I'm sure it was my dream car. <laughs> so, so, just a sweet ride. And so I knew, I was like, man, in this season we were in, if I can get her to the other side of the country and have to drive with me four days in a car, there's no way 
she doesn't come back loving me after that, <laughs> you know. And so we fly to Scottsdale, and I had mapped out our, you know, path home, and we went up and drove through the Grand Canyon a little bit. And uh, as we were driving, we were driving through huge woods, not like, you know, driving up 26 around here where there's some forest woods on the side of you, but huge trees that were so thick you couldn't even see into the forest, just tree after tree, and kind of climbing up this mountain. And as we got to the top of the mountain, the road turned hard to the left and or to the right. And right as it did, the landscape on the left opened up entirely. Huge mountains, beautiful like sunset, just this beautiful picture. And in that moment, the Lord spoke to me and said, that's how quickly your story can change. In just a moment, the landscape can change entirely. And I remember just breaking down. You know, like, oh, God. Katie's riding up the road with me. What? What? Are you okay? What happened? You know? And, uh, and I remember it birthing in me that day, this, this sense of hope and expectation. I believed that God was going to heal our marriage, that he was going to make all things new, that we were going to get to a new place, a deeper place of love. I just didn't know when he was going to do it or how it would happen. And, and I remember in that day, it birthed in me this hope of, man, what if tonight's the night? Like, what if something clicks in her? What if we go to bed and we wake up in the morning? I remember I'd wake up and kind of be like, hey, (laughs) is today the day? I don't know. It just birthed in me this hope that that new life could be just around the corner. Yeah, and I don't know if you have ever been in a pit or you're in a pit right now. I know one thing is that you're going to hear two voices over you. One of them is going to be the voice of your accuser. And he's going to tell you things about yourself that's actually just going to lead to shame. And it will potentially lead to more sin. He has one path for it, and it's death. The other voice over you is going to be the voice of your God. And it's going to be a voice of life and love, of kindness. It's going to lead to repentance. And and what might actually feel painful to confess your sins um, in the moment actually leads to such refreshment. You know, it says in God's word that if we'll confess our sins to one another, times of refreshment will come upon us from the Lord. And that's the only way I can describe what we went through and what we've continued to go through is as we've confessed our sins to one another and to God, he's brought so much times of refreshment upon us. And in restoring our love, you know, I'll never forget during the season, Pastor Mac and Cindy, like Mac would say to us, he would say, listen, when you go into the hospital, people heal at different times. They come out at different points and they have different points of healing. And I don't know the timeline for you, you know, but sure enough, it it wasn't immediate, but it was quick that God restored this love for one another. And, you know, I haven't written Josh a Valentine's Day card yet because you've you've had me a little bit busy this morning. (laughs) But when I go to write it, I probably still would say something like, schnooky boo-boo, you know, I love you. Only this time I might say something like, you know, I hope you never do change. But if everything changed, I still choose you. I choose us. I choose love because girls learn how to persevere. You know, I've got the vision, but God's taught and grown this strength, strengthen the muscles of perseverance. And it's true, just around the corner, if you will endure, he has life abundant on the other side. That's good. James 1, 2 through 4 there on your outline says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I mean, that's who our God is. In the midst of our darkest days, in the midst of our 
hardest seasons, if we will choose to persevere in faith, the outcome is that one day you'll open your eyes and man, the landscape will have changed. God will have built this man or a woman that's experienced him in a way you never would have imagined possible, that you get to have a front row seat to see him bring about healing and breakthrough in areas that you couldn't have possibly done on your own. Revelation 12, 11 says, they overcame him, talking about the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, meaning the finished work of Jesus on the cross and then the, the testimony, the work that God had done in their lives. And the only way that we as people are gonna have testimonies, stories of God's faithfulness and provision is as we make the decision to persevere, believing that new life is just around the corner. He is in the business of making things new. I was reminded yesterday of the story of Jairus in scripture. Jesus was coming to heal his daughter who was sick and she died while he was on the way there. And in a moment, she was dead. Then she had an encounter with Jesus and she was brought back to life. In a moment, everything changed. And that's the kind of hope that God can bring about in your life. For whatever season of life that you're in, whatever struggle you might be walking through, whatever feelings you can't muster up, wherever you might have already given up, that God can birth that kind of hope and make all things new. So what I would love to do today as we close is just ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a minute to give some privacy to those sitting around you. And I'm wondering if there isn't some area of your life, uh, if it's a, a relationship that you're in, a season or struggle that you've been walking through on your own that if you wouldn't in some way say, I need to experience that new life, uh, that I could have hope that it's just around the corner. If you could ex desire to experience or step into that, that new life, would you just raise your hand for me? I wanna pray for you today as we respond. Amen. Amen. God, we thank you so much for every hand up here in Mount Pleasant across all of our campuses, and we praise you that you are the God of new life, that you breathe life into dead places, that you bring light into dark places, that you are the God that makes all things new. And so today, God, we renew our faith in you. I praise you, God, for the work that you've done in our marriage, and I pray that it would bring about victory in the lives of others, that it would encourage them, that, that you are the God that renews love. You are the God of love. It is a fruit of your spirit in us, and I praise you for what you've done in us, and I pray that that me too would echo in the hearts of everyone here today, that whatever pit they might be in, that they would encounter you as the God of love who speaks love over them, that can birth love in them and, and author new stories in just a moment. God, we give you this day and this time. Meet us as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.